Welcome to the King's Chapel Alaska podcast. From wherever you are listening, we are so excited that you tuned in today. Let's prepare our hearts to hear from God's Word. How many of you guys are ready to go into the Word, to get in deep? Okay, let's go ahead and do this. Um, the topic that I'm going to speak about tonight, the, t- the sermon title is going to be Reject Rejection. Okay? Now, here's one of the crazy things that happens to many of us is that one of the greatest battles you're ever going to have to fight is a spirit and assignment of rejection. How many of you have ever been rejected before? All right, y'all saw my eHarmony profile picture earlier. I have experienced rejection, okay? I have experienced rejection in my life when I was young, being the only Asian kid in an all-Italian neighborhood, okay? I have experienced rejection being the only Asian person within a hundred-mile radius, okay? I know what it is to be rejected, but can I tell you that one of the reasons why people act crazy is not because of a genetic disconnect in their mind. It's not because of, uh, of something that's in their DNA, but in reality, the reason why people act crazy and even enter into what we call self-destructive behavior is actually because of an assignment of rejection that has taken root in the inside of their life. And so we're going to talk about that. So for many of you, you know, I've shared different parts of my testimony, and I'm not going to get into too much of a detail, but I want to share this one season in my life where I went to what uh, Pastor Daniel talked about, where I went to be mentored by prophets, right? There was this this really cool ministry in Santa Rosa Beach, Florida, uh, and they were called, considered the school of the prophets. Everybody go, ooh, fancy, you know? It's just like, it sounds so epic and and so crazy, And, and so some of the most prolific prophetic voices have been trained right there in that place of Santa Rosa Beach, Florida. And you know what was interesting was that I was, I felt the call from God to go, right? But here's the thing, is that I want to give you context about my situation, okay? I just recently got saved a, a few weeks earlier, Okay, I had been in the uh, logistics business. How many of you know UPS, FedEx, right? I was like UPS, FedEx, but for things that were illegal and things that didn't belong in schools. Okay, like I was like, I was like selling Amway, but like on the dark web. Okay, I was like doing stuff that was just like nonsense. Okay, and I had like a whole multi-level thing. I had it all going on and I was, I was a mess. And so when God met me and and he spoke to me for the very first time. He gave me a vision of my future. But can I be honest with you? The future was so great, I had no idea how I was going to get there. Because at that point in my life, I'd just gotten saved, but my entire life was in total shambles because of my own doing, because of what I had, had done inside of my life and all of these different things. Um, but here's what was interesting was that I felt the call of God for me to go to Santa Rosa Beach, Florida to join the house of the prophets. Everybody go, ooh, again. All right, cool. It's like super cool, right? So here's the thing. I go ahead and I put my application in to go ahead and join this school. And you know what? They came back and they were like, oh my gosh, heavens yes, please come. That is not true. They actually looked at me and were like, you know what? You were glad that God has done something in your life. We're so glad that you got saved. Um, But it's that other 15% of you that is not quite saved that we're concerned about. And so we don't want you to come. 
How many of you have ever been in an environment where people celebrate your victory and your breakthroughs, but they sometimes still hold it against you? It's human nature. It is not because people are malicious. It's not because they're mean, spirited, or anything like that. It's just, it's human nature that when you see a pattern in someone's life, you're hesitant to necessarily give them the benefit of the doubt. And so here's the crazy thing that happened, was that I am here trying to apply to a prophetic school that I prophetically believe I am called to, and yet these prophetic people are telling me that they don't think I belong there. So here's the first thing that I want to encourage you is that sometimes rejection is not rejection because it's not meant for you. Rejection can sometimes come where the enemy would try to turn you in another way, but God wants to use it to test your resolve and to build your faith in what you've heard. To build an understanding and a connection with God where you believe it is the word of the Lord on your life, not because uh, a five foot five Asian dude up here told you it was the case, okay? As good looking as I am now in 2021, okay? It is not because, uh, because you heard it on the news. It is not because of anything like that. It is because God came to you in a moment in time, shared with you his heart. And because you believe in what God has said, you're willing to bite and eat the punches that come your way in the pursuit of what God has called you to do. Now, here's the thing. That comes with a caveat because what God has called you to do lines up with scripture, okay? So it's not like the Lord has called me to rob a bank. I'm going to be the most prolific bank robber in all of American history. You know how that doesn't jive necessarily with like the thou shalt not steal component of the Bible? You know, so you always want to make sure that you're, what God has called you to, you're, that's why you have to be a student of the word. You have to be a student of scripture. You have to read what God has already said. So that way you can accurately hear what he's saying now. And it's going to line up. And so for me, I get rejected from this, this Bible college. I'm just like, oh, well, that's it. But here's the thing that's interesting. For many of you may not know this, but uh, some of you who may be Polynesian may understand this. Uh, I have an Asian mom, Okay. Asian mothers do not play. They do not mess around. There are things that they are very confident on. One, you are going to play some sort of instrument or you're going to have some sort of excellent education, okay? One of those two things. If you don't have that, you have to hand in your Asian card. You have to put, leave your badge on the table. You have to go find another race to join, okay? And, uh, it's just very, very serious. And so, uh, you know, my mom is very, very intense. But one of the things that she's intense about is she's really an advocate for me and my future. And so she grabs the phone from the reg- uh, where I'm talking on the phone with this uh, prophetic school. And she goes, listen, I understand that my son is a mess. And I'm like, well, thanks, mom. Great. She goes, I understand. If I had a Bible college, I wouldn't want him in my school. I was like, well, this is not going well, right? I don't know if there's like a change in translation with the language. I don't know what's going on. And, uh, and she's going, and I'm just like, oh, gosh. But she goes, I understand, but we are going to be in Santa Rosa Beach, Florida, in three days for the opening of school, whether you accept him or not. So we ask you now to reconsider. Hangs up the phone before the person can respond. Savage play. Savage play. Because now who's in control, right? Asian mom is in control. 
And so we got this whole thing. And so I'm just like, oh, so I go down there and, and God does some things inside of my life where I, all of a sudden on our road trip down to Florida, right? And for me, I was like, should I just pack like a one day bag, a two day bag? Cause it's probably, it's not going to work out. And my mom is like, no, you're packing. Cause you're not coming back. And I was like, what are you, and she's like, I mean, she's, I've never seen her more happy. She's like, oh yeah. She's like emptying all my wardrobe into the car. She's like packing my violin. Like I'm going to practice when she's not around, you know, I'm just like, Whoa. yeah, no. Um, and so she's doing all of these different things and we go down and I get a voicemail on my Nokia flip phone, right? At the time, right? It was really, really old school. I flip it open. I listen to the voicemail and it's the registrar's office saying, you know, we've reconsidered and uh, we want to welcome you to the school of the prophets. We'll see you in three days, right? So I'm like, yeah, look at that. Mom's for the win. And I'm just like going down there. Now here's the thing is that one of the ways that my mother had sold the school of the prophets to me was that she said that it was the international headquarters for Christian international ministries, okay? So in my mind, I'm thinking like the Avengers headquarters, okay? I'm thinking like Tony Stark is tinkering in the lab, you know, and then they're like the X-Men are over for brunch. You know, I'm just like thinking this whole thing. I'm thinking Oral Roberts University with their international campus, right? And I'm thinking about this. And the, I'm, I'm pulling up. We're going into Florida. We're pulling onto the campus. And can I tell you what the international headquarters campus is? It's two modular buildings, if you want to know what a modular building is, they're basically double-wide mobile homes stuck together. And I'm like, and she, like my mom is like, look, there's the international headquarters. And I was like, this looks like something out of Breaking Bad. I don't, I don't think that we're in the right place, right? And so there's a church building, and it's a nice church building. But she said, you know, I bought, um, I bought a house for you on campus so you don't have to drive very far. And, and you're going to be in the midst of the anointing and in the atmosphere. And so I bought this for you. And, and, and she's like mad hyping it, right? And so we're pulling up to where her, she had bought this home. And, and it's actually a double-wide mobile home on campus. Okay, now I want to preface this, okay? I have spent the majority of my adult life in a double-wide mobile home, okay? So I'm not hating, I'm not shading it or anything like that, okay? I have spent most of my life in a double-wide mobile home. But at that moment in time, I was super bougie, okay? Because my parents' home was a 7,500-square-foot suburban New York home, okay, which sat on like three and a half acres. There were horses in a pasture across the road, okay? I was used to a certain lifestyle, and my mom has the audacity to put me in a double-wide mobile home that looks haunted, I'm just like, what in the world have you done? God, you've called me here. And I remember I walk in through the doors and immediately, I promise you, I come in and there's forest green carpet that is like three inches tall. I promise you, I heard something scurry underneath. From that point on, for the next three days, I never took off my shoes. When I showered, I wore sneakers, okay? I was like, what in the world? The walls were, were wallpapered with this digital floral art. 
Anybody ever know what I'm talking about? Like, it's like, but here's the thing is like, it's baked into the wall. It's not like something you can paint over because I have tried, I tried for 10 years to paint over this floral thing, but like a Chucky movie, it just keeps showing up. It just keeps, it just like pops around the washing machine like, hello. And I'm just like, ah, I just like freaking out, right? Floral green, the car, the curtains on the windows are the, they match the carpet. And you're like, oh, this is insane. And my mom is like trying to sell me on it. And when I'm in it, she's like, isn't this amazing? And I'm like, no, this is not amazing. Right? And, and I remember this, is that my, my mom stayed with me. My mom and my dad, they stayed with me for about two days. And they invited someone to stay at the house with me for a couple of days until they found a new space. This person was six foot four, 400 pounds from the Virgin Islands. When he would walk in this double wide mobile home, I thought my life was going to end. It was the scariest thing I'd ever experienced. And, and so here's the thing is that when my parents left, they left him there with me. So I'm literally, I'm laying, and then the, the comforter on the bed was like this floral, it, it was like they might have gotten it from hospice. I don't know entirely, but it was like someone may have passed. I don't, and then my mother was very, very pumped about it. She's like, I got you a king-size mattress. She didn't tell me it was from like the thrift store down the road. And so like it, it looked like something that my 400-pound roommate had spent 10 years laying in the middle of it. So when I would lay on that mattress, I would just roll to the middle. And it would take me about three and a half days to get out. I just like, just lay there, right? It's just this crazy thing that was going on. And I'm, I'm just over there. And, and so I remember, I remember laying my, my head on the comforter while putting my hand between my cheek and the comforter so I wouldn't get a disease. I'm just like, God, is this what your destiny for my life looks like? Have you called me to be a trailer park prophet? And I'm just there. And here's the thing is I, I'm, I am a walking Korean drama, okay? Before Netflix started putting them online and all that stuff, I mean, I walk with a constant soundtrack in my head, you know? And so I have happy music, I have sad music. And at that point, it was very, very sad music. And I'm just like, God, you've left me here. This is crazy. Meanwhile, I'm hearing like the dinosaur across the double wide roaming around for his next feeding. And I'm just like, God, what in the world? So that's the next point that I want to bring you to, is that sometimes your destiny and what God calls you to looks like a double wide mobile home in the back of an international headquarters that is also located in said mobile home park. Sometimes it looks so different than what in your mind or your natural eye would perceive. And yet I believe that the Lord does that on purpose, that God wraps your destiny in humble clothing, in humble things that in the natural people may reject, people may poo-poo on, people may be like, that's not God, and all of these different things. But there's something on the inside of you that will not, cannot walk away from it because you feel compelled to be there. 
You feel compelled to be there. You feel like, I, I do want to minister to those homeless people. I do want to do this. I do want to travel to the nations of Mozambique and all of these places. I want to do that. And people are looking at you saying, you're crazy. And I want to tell you this, is that there is a call that God places on you that most people will never understand. And the process it takes for you to get there, everyone will have an opinion about how that is not the path for you. So I'm out there. But get this, though. Everybody is super psyched that I'm there. That is also a lie. Nobody was psyched I was there. Now, here's the thing is that I'm laying there in this double wide mobile home, and I didn't realize that three mobile homes down there was going to be a prophet that would change the rest of my life. And when I was there in that mobile home, in the middle of that rivet in my mattress, he was praying for the next generation of prophets to come up. Now, here's the crazy thing is what I'm going to tell, share with you over these next few nights. I'm going to pull a lot of references to, to this man that has changed my life and who has walked with me over 15 years of my life because in it, he walked me through what it truly is to hear the voice of God, but then to walk out your prophetic destiny. And can I tell you that I don't hear this preached about? I don't hear it taught about as much as it should, but I believe that in these lessons, there is a key that God wants to give you because he's raising up a generation of prophetic voices right here inside of this room where you're going to be even that voice where it's not going to look conventional. It's going to look very unconventional, but you're going to be the leader of the future. And these are the keys that I believe are going to help. So two doors down, but you might be wondering, you're like, well, if this dude is going to like so life-changing, what is he doing also living in said mobile home? Okay. I want to tell you about this mentor of mine. Um, the man is, is super anointed. In fact, he consulted with worldwide governments uh, all, over, all over the place. He, he's consulted with South Korea. He's consulted uh, with Israel and France and all of these places. He even had a direct line to the White House. Like, you know how cool that is? It's just like, oh, you know, he's like tells his intern, get me the White House. And he actually has the number to get to the White House. And a direct line to the president. His code name was Red Horse. How crazy cool is that? Like, you know, my name is Prophet Red Horse. It's like, are you Native American? No, I am not. That's my White House code name, you know? It's like so cool and so crazy. And, but here's the thing is that because of that, he had, he had, you know, he was very well-to-do. He was very wealthy. He had lots of finances. But guess what? He took all of this money that he had saved up to buy and build his dream home debt-free. You know what he did? He gave it away so that he could raise up profits and send them to the nations. Invested over half a million dollars, his life savings, so that he could raise up the next generation of profits. And so this man is living there in a mobile home by choice because he says that God is up to something and I want to be a part of it. Here's the crazy thing is that when you get a vision from God, when you, you have a, something that he places on the inside of you, and it's not just a good idea, he's saying, no, this is what I want as part of your inheritance. You will give up everything, whatever you have, in order to be able to pursue that dream. 
And so one of the things that I want to encourage you, sometimes you're going to get mad, like you're going to get lots of, of flack from people because they're like, oh, you're just not passionate and you're just not hungry and, and you just don't love God as much as so-and-so or such-and-such. And can I be honest with you? I feel like in many ways that's a cop-out for people to not take the time to invest in the next generation. Because here's the reality, is that if you find something that is truly what God has called you to do, and God gives you a vision for it, there is something that rises up in you where it's not a matter of passion. You are literally busting down the doors in order to be able to see that thing manifest on the inside of your life. And so, see, here's what I think is that uh, this next generation does not have a passion problem. This next generation has a vision deficiency problem. And so one of the greatest things that you can do in this season of your life is to allow God and to pursue God to give you the vision that will mark you for the rest of your life. Then you will seek all of the amount of holiness that's required. You will get your life cleaned up in the way that you need to. All of those things are going to line up. You're going to show up for worship 15 minutes early. You're going to do all of those different things that are required, but it's because you're driven by vision, not by condemnation or shame, because your right now is not lining up with what your future is. Does that make sense? All right. So I get up. And so I'm going to this, to this prophetic school. Nobody wants to hang out with me, okay? Nobody. I go into this, this prophetic school. Nobody's talking to me. They're like, oh, this guy, oh, is this the guy who's like kind of sketchy, a little, little bit of a flight risk? I, I heard he sold drugs, you know? They're just like, oh, no, you know, all that stuff. Um, because here's the thing is my classmates at the time were like the best of the best of the best, they were like already leading crusades in Africa. They had already been prophesying at their churches. They were considered like the next up for, for taking over the churches that they've come from. They were all of these crazy, incredible people. And then there's David, UPS for drug dealers. You know, walking border wars here. I'm just like, it's like an ad for like Asian narcos. I'm just like this guy who's just hanging out. And back in that day, though, here's the thing. It wasn't all spiritual, okay? There were natural reasons for why they didn't want to be around me. Has anybody ever seen that classic movie with Robin Williams called Hook before? Oh, yeah, see, because we've got some cultured young people in here. You have history. You, you have taste. There's this one dude who's part of the Lost Boys. His name is Rufio. And he had the coolest haircut. And 10 years after that movie came out, I thought that the coolest thing for me was to have a similar haircut. So I had a mullet mohawk that was like, but here's the thing is that also I was in the South and Southern people don't know how to cut Asian hair. And so I literally let it grow out to the point where there was no room in vehicles. It was just that way. So, you know, people didn't come close to me because it was physically impossible to come close to me. It's just this whole crazy thing. But here's the, here's the one thing that happened, though, was that I go through, I'm going to speed through this because I think I've shared parts of the story. But here's the thing is that uh, this prophet, you know, I'm going to call him Red Horse, Prophet Red Horse, right? 
And, and so here's the interesting thing about him, was that he was the big head prophet over all of the prophetic teams at that campus. He was the one that was, if you were a real prophet, if you were like really high up there and very skilled and all of that stuff, he was the one that was going to mentor you, and he was the last step before you got launched to go into the nations, right? So how many of you know that people, he had a waiting list, a dozen people long, that wanted to travel with him to go to the nations, that wanted to buy his groceries, that would want to do whatever it took to be mentored and trained by him. And here's the crazy thing, is that I wasn't even on that list. I was not even in the same universe of that list. And everybody around me tried to convince me that was the case. I had this one professor in, inside of Bible college where I was like, hey, you know, I, I, have, I, want, I have some questions I want to ask you about this prophetic stuff and everything like that. And have you ever gotten that sense where someone's very polite, but it's clear that they don't want to talk to you? Have I ever been there? Okay. And so he's like, you know, he's like, well, I'm just really busy, David. I don't know. I, you know, I don't really have time. And I was like, well, it's okay. I, I can walk with you to your car and ask the question. He goes, honestly, David, to be, to be truthful with you, I'm so busy and I have to be very intentional in who I invest my time in. And I am just not really sure if you're going to make it past the first year let alone go all the way through. And so I just hope you understand, but I have to invest in these other people that have a better shot. What? In that moment, the final 5% of the unsaved part of my soul wanted to find a weapon of some kind and just like, ah, you know, just, just hurt people, hurt people, you know? And so my feelings hurt. Oh, really? So here's the crazy thing, is that these were prophets that were coming and telling me that I did not belong. So let me ask you something. If a prophet came up to you and told you that you didn't belong, what would your response be? That's right. See, that is a healed man back there. Because here is the reality of the situation, is that the enemy will sometimes use people that you hold in high regard to come against your destiny and come against your purpose, come against the very thing that God has called you to. And at the same token, God will let it happen because he wants to begin to start showing you and seeing what you're going to do in that situation. Because here's the thing, is that if you in that moment reject rejection and you push beyond that rejection, all of a sudden there's a supernatural enablement and grace from the Father that begins to come in and says, look at this. You gave that person your best shot. You hit them under the belt. You did everything you could to come against their identity, come against their value, come against what that you've even brought up their past as a justification for why they don't deserve to be chosen by me. But now that you've given your best shot, devil, I'm going to give them my best shot. I'm going to give them everything that they need in order to succeed. Because here's the thing is that God is a tremendously giving God. But you know what? He does not like to share the credit. God does not want to share the credit when it comes to you. He doesn't want, at the end of the day, someone to lay hold of you and say, Oh, I'm the reason why that person succeeded. I'm the reason why that person walked through that open door and they have the platform that they have. Other people can help, 
But at the end of the day, God's desire is that when you stand up exactly where you're called to be, that people look and say, there is no way except God that that person is in the position that they're in. There is no other reason except for the fact that God chose you, that you are going to be where God has called you to be. You are going to be the one that is going to be a sign and a wonder to a generation because you have chosen to reject the rejection of even those that would claim that they know better or know best for you. And so this is the incredible thing that happened is that I wasn't in the universe of being accepted. Then then this prophet, all of a sudden, literally, I'll tell you guys a story at lunch sometime or whatever. He literally pulls me out of my rejection and my despair. I was literally in such a bad spot where I was laying in the landscaping in front of the church. Y'all, like Korean drama soundtrack playing on blast. I had been weeping. I had dirt all over my clothes because, and you know, and, and all of these different things, I had torn my button off shirt off like, ah, life is horrible, you know, just doing this whole ridiculous act, right? And I sit down in the front of the garden of the church and I'm like, God, could things get any worse than this? And then the sprinklers come on. And I'm just like, oh, yes, my life is complete. And yet out of that situation, can I tell you something? That prophet with the direct line to the White House that had a waiting list of over a dozen people more qualified than me, he pulled me out of those rose bushes. He pulled me out of that landscaping. And he began to take me all over the world. And he began to mentor me and raise me up point where there were moments where I spent, I spent, I lived with his family at certain points in time. I did all of these different things. I traveled with him to Taiwan, even though I didn't like Asian people, but he took me to Taiwan anyways. He did all of these different things for 15 years, began to pour into me. And we'll go more into the, some of the lessons that I learned out there in the nations. But here's the reality, is that even though in the natural there is nothing that would qualify you for what God has called you to. God will raise up people that have a vision from him to raise you up. So if you're a member of this church, if you're here, I believe that it's because God has moved heaven and earth for you to be in a company of people that were raised up to be able to raise you up. That's why one of the greatest assignments of rejection has been to get you to feel like you don't belong here. Has get you to feel like either you're not cool enough or you're too cool to be here. But I want to let you know that if you will stick it out here to the end of the line, if you go to the leaders like Daniel and Minister David and all of them and share what you've been going through and what God has called you to, God is going to begin to supercharge and give you a path to a destiny that you feel is impossible. Does that make sense? And so what I'm trying to share with you is, again, I'm not talking to kids. I'm talking to people that are called. I'm talking to people that are going to reject rejection 
so that they can be able to achieve what God has called them to. Now, as we're closing, I want to share with you this important lesson, is that in order to reject rejection, you have to allow God to go into your areas and places of shame. Now, shame is really, really interesting because it has a valid reason to be there. Either you've done something that you're not proud of, either you've experienced a failure inside of your life, or someone has mistreated you and robbed you of your innocence. Oh God, the enemy is so much of a professional that he loves to hit you underneath the bell. He loves to get personal and he loves to play unfair. But here's the crazy thing about the enemy is that he will make you, he will harm you, he will come after you, and then he'll try to convince you that it's all your fault. Has anybody ever experienced that? It's really, really strong because I know that there's some of us in here, people have done horrible things against you and to you. And then you spent the next two and three years of your life rehearsing why it was your fault. You see, the enemy will always try to do that because he wants to put you in a place of shame where you will do everything in your power in order to make sure no one sees that shame. You can be sarcastic like I was to hide your shame. You can pretend that you're better than everybody like I did to hide your shame. You can pretend like you're worse than everybody and reject yourself before other people have the chance to reject you to hide the pain that you don't think anybody will understand. But in that moment, if you will allow the love of God to come in, to show you how much you matter to him and how much he wants to take that shame away, that's when you come alive. So this prophet that came, this is an interesting thing, is that I went gym traveling with him for about a year and I thought I was hot stuff. Because, you know, I'd go to these nations and people are like, oh my goodness, as soon as you graduate and you leave that ministry, please come and head up our ministry. It would be incredible, you know? Like, I'd prophesy people would cry, you know? Like, when you're young, you do, like, stupid stuff like that. Oh, they cry, so it's an accurate prophetic word, you know? That's not actually true. The word could be so bad that they're crying because it's so bad, okay? There's a lot of ways to interpret that, okay? As I found out, okay? Um, but here's the thing. I... I I was all about this because in that zone, in that ministry mode of where I was, I was doing things that were impressive to the very people who rejected me in the first place. I was a prophet to the nations. I was ministering. I was teaching people how to hear the voice of God. I was doing all of the things. And so I was finding my validation, my value, and my identity in the fact that I was going through the motions and matching the expectations of people that I was never going to be good enough for. You see, shame will cause you to do insane things. Shame will even cause you to self-destruct your own life. to sleep with other people, to do all of those things, to take those substances, to do all of that stuff. Shame will drive you to do that because you think that it's the only thing that you deserve, but at the same time, it's the only thing 
that you think will protect you so that you can be rejected by other people before they see the reason why you're doing what you're doing. Shame is a crazy thing. It's a nuts thing. And so here's the crazy thing. I'm up there on my high horse. People are like, oh my goodness, I've got like, I've got like 500 MySpace friends, okay? I'm like crushing it, right? Um, and then this prophet says, hey, uh, David, I, I want to come have dinner at your house. And can I tell you, it was so random, but you know what I did? I went into total meltdown. You want to come to my house? The double wide mobile home with the floral wallpaper that I can't get rid of? Like a, it's like a demon haunting my house. You want to come to my house with the forest green dirty carpet that no matter how much of that deodorizer I put on it, it still smells like an episode of Breaking Bad? You still want, you want to come to my house where my coil stove fires comments out of it whenever you turn, I turn it on. You want to come to my house where I have been living on pizza rolls for the last six months. Yeah, we got some real ones over here. I understand that. You know my struggle or my addiction, right? So they're delicious. But here's the crazy thing that happened is I had a total meltdown because I did not realize that that double wide mobile home represented my shame. Because of everything that I had done in my life, because of the rejection I had experienced, in a lot of ways, I sat in that mobile home thinking that the reason why I lived there was because that was what I deserved for what I had done. Some of us have those pockets of shame in us that we live in because we think that's what we deserve. So here's the thing is I go into massive cleaning mode, right? He's like, I want to come have a meal with you, right? So I was like, all right, my bank account is overdrawn by $150, okay? Um, because I used to go to like Blockbuster a lot and like I used to watch movies. And so I had a lot of overdraft fees, you know, like it's bad. It was rough. Um, so all of that stuff. So I'm going, you know, I'm, I'm running through the, the Walmart, right? And I'm trying to find the stuff that's on sale, okay? So I'm getting like the noodles that have like the damaged boxes. I'm going to make like Alfredo pasta for him. You know, and so I'm like getting these pasta boxes of, of pasta that are broken that I can get a discount on because it's what I can afford, you know? I'm going over and I'm like, ooh, I can't do Bertoli. I can only do ragu, right? So I'm grabbing the ragu one step up from Chef Boyardee, you know? I'm just like, I wonder if I can make a deconstructed dish out of Chef Boyardee. I don't know. Top Chef was new and really hot at the time. And so I'm just like doing that whole thing. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm trying to get all this stuff. I couldn't afford the Bed Bath & Beyond like, uh, or the uh, Bath & Body Works candles. I couldn't do it, right? I couldn't do that. So you know what I saw was I had Axe Body Spray on sale in the aisle. And so I'm like, close enough, right? I'm grabbing like midnight danger, you know, from that, from that thing. I'm, like, I'm just going to spritz this on the, on the couches, you know, the green couches. I'm going to do whatever I can, right? And so I get like those little votive candles, you know, like the single one to set the mood, you know, it's like to set the vibe in the little room. So it doesn't like, if I, I was like, if I dim the lights, maybe he can't see the wallpaper, right? So 
I'm like doing this whole different thing. And this is what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to cover up my shame. I'm trying to cover up the, the walls that represent my failure, the floor that represents and smells like the desperation and the rejection I've experienced. I'm doing everything I can because the voice of the Lord, the prophet, is about to come into my double-wide mobile home of shame. And this is what we do is we will come to conferences like this and we will buy the Chef Boyardee, we will buy the candles and the Axe body spray because we're desperately trying to beautify ourselves so that when God comes, he doesn't see all of that darkness. He doesn't see all of that pain. So I'm out here and I'm trying to do my best and I'm the coil on my stove isn't working. I'm getting more and more frustrated. <laughs> Because here, Leilani will tell you, I wait till the last minute to do anything. And so it's like 20 minutes till he arrives. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is not working. The water is not boiling. And I was like, oh my gosh, my broken, my broken fettuccine will never cook in enough time. You know, and I'm just like, I'm thinking, and I'm just trying to figure this all out. And then I open up the can of the Alfredo sauce. Half of it spills out on the counter. I don't know what I'm going to do. And I don't have enough money for paper towels. So I'm running in to get actual towels from my bathroom to clean up all of this stuff. And the more I'm trying to cover up my mess, the worse it's getting. And now panic is setting out in my life, in my heart, where I'm just like, I don't know what I'm going to do. What is he going to think? He's going to come in here. And, and it's one thing to drive by it, but it's another thing when he sees how I've been living. He comes in, comes up the door. Get this, he also brings his wife. Now, they pull up in a murdered out Lincoln Navigator, back when it was like the coolest thing ever just pulls up. The stairs, I was so busy worrying about the Axe body spray, I didn't realize that the railing on my stairs were not attached. So before he even gets in the house, he almost like topples down the stairs because it's, it's not OSHA approved, okay? It's not like, like Biden would not approve of this. And so um, it's just, it's just one of those things. And but you know what? There's the, the smile never leaves his face. And all he does is he sits down in my war, on my worn out couch in my living room. And he starts complimenting me about all of the aspects of the house. He goes, my, 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 you have such a beautiful home. You have such a beautiful home. Is that, did that wallpaper come with the house? Wow, I love the floral patterns on your walls. What is this I smell? It's so unique. I've never had a candle smell like this before. Are those bulbs fluorescent? You know, and he's just like going all, and he's so encouraging. He's so in this. But you know what's interesting about that moment? Is the more he's complimenting me, the more mad I'm getting. Anybody ever been in that situation? You're like, what is wrong with me? Why am I doing this? And so here's what happens. So I'm getting mad. I'm getting frustrated. I, I dismiss myself to the kitchen where I'm frantically trying to get this, this whole pasta cooking. And the plastic spoon I'm using is melting into the water as I'm doing this. And I was like, I hope he believes in supernatural healing and resurrection because 
stuff is getting sketchy here. And I was just like, oh, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Put it on the plate. You know, it looks like a plate from the 90s. You know, it's like back in the day. It's very thin. Like any amount of heat could cause it to shatter, you know. So I like walk with it like I'm diffusing a bomb. And I'm just like, okay, here it is. I put it down at the table. He sits down at, at the dining room table. Chair almost collapses because it's an old chair. And I'm just like, oh, my gosh. And he's eating and he goes, oh, my goodness. Is this made from scratch? And I'm like, and I snap. And I say, no, it's not. I found it on sale. And I start freaking out in front of it. I have a melt. I'm like, it's on sale, okay? All of this stuff. I think I even mentioned that the, that the deodorizer was Axe body spray. I'm just like, it's all a lie. It's all fake, you know? And could you imagine like this five, foot five Asian dude having a meltdown in the middle of this forest green oasis? And I'm just like, it's all fake. I, it's, I'm a mess, okay? I'm a mess. And I remember he sits there quietly and he goes, you know, it's still wonderful. I'm enjoying myself. Why don't you sit down and enjoy yourself with me, David? And so after I've totally embarrassed myself, I sit down next to him and I eat my portion because I had to like portion it out, you know? So as a good host, mine was like, mine occupied like one mug, right? Because I didn't have enough silverware. So just like eating like ramen noodles, you know? Just ragu ramen. And just doing this thing. He's sitting there puts his hand on my shoulders and he just starts encouraging me. And you know what's crazy? Is as he was doing it, I didn't realize this, but I was manifesting a spirit of rejection and a spirit of shame. Where all of a sudden, all of that were the demons that had let come around me to change the narrative in my mind where I thought that this was my shame, this was everything that I deserved, all of these different things. He starts just putting his hand on my shoulder and complimenting me. All of a sudden, the pain, the agitation, the anger, all of those different things, they began to dissipate. I felt like Saul when David began to sing and play his harp and the demons would leave Saul alone and he could finally have peace. And in that moment, he goes and he sits at the couch, him and his wife, they go sit on the couch. I said, David, why don't you come here? You've blessed us with a meal. I wanna bless you and I wanna pray over you. And then he looks at me when I come and pray and he says, in the name of Jesus, I break the power of rejection off of your life. And it was like he was seeing past my eyes. He was seeing past my walls and my defense systems. And he was speaking to the brokenness in my soul. And he commanded that spirit of rejection to leave me alone. And this is what happened. I began to weep like a baby. I began to crumble in his arms. And he held me for about 45 minutes. You know what he did? He sang the word of the Lord over me. He sang the word of the Lord over me while healing came into my heart and all of these different things. And now here's the crazy thing that happened was that then after that situation, I came out of that moment completely set free in a way that I had never experienced before. Because here's the thing is that that was my one hidden shame that remained. 
That was the one area that represented everything in my life. And when the spirit of rejection was broken, when that shame was broken, because I allowed the word of the Lord to come in, it set me free in a way where things began to be different. I even saw that mobile home differently than I had before. I began to say, could this mobile home not be my shame, but could it be the launching point into my destiny and into my future? I want you to know that no matter what your double wide trailer looks like, no matter what it looks like, God wants to use it as a launching pad for your future and your destiny. Thank you for joining today's podcast. If God is impacting your life through this ministry, you can partner with us and give at kcalaska.com. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our channel and enjoy more messages like this one.